0: AI has grown so sophisticated recently that it's It's hard hard to tell tell when when you're
1: talking to a real human being and when you're not. I'm Barry Collins, at least I think I am, and welcome to The Sound Podcast. In this episode, we're looking at AI and its enormous potential to change the way companies interact with their customers, not least when it comes to offering technical support. The new generation of AI chatbots are capable of interacting with customers in ways that feel entirely natural, as if they're speaking to a human being. Companies are already exploring whether AI assistance could become the first line of customer support, helping to answer questions or solve technical glitches in a fraction of the time it might take to get through to a human care team. Could AI support become commonplace in the broadband industry? In this episode, I'm going to be talking to Samnose CEO, Alex Salter, who tells us how Samnose is approaching AI and how he thinks it could be used by broadband providers. We'll also be speaking to AI expert, Richard Windsor, founder of research company, Radio Free Mobile, who gives us his insight into AI's capabilities and limits, and the ethics of using AI to offer support to customers. I started by asking Richard to explain why AI had advanced so rapidly over the past year to become the most talked about technology of 2023. When it
2: comes to innovation, The most important innovation was the innovation made by Google in 2017, um, which was the discovery of the Transformer neural network architecture. And the the main difference it basically made was, instead of um, a neural network translating word by word by word, it allowed the neural network to consider the position of words in the sentence, it allowed the neural network to consider the whole sentence, and also allowed the neural network to consider the context within which certain words were being used. And what that meant was a substantial improvement in the quality of translation. That is, in my opinion, the genesis of, of GPT-based systems and generative AI, is that innovation. What I think has happened more recently is advent of new silicon from Google, that's more capable, more silicon from NVIDIA, which is much more capable, Uh, A ton of money from Microsoft and a ton of data, digital data, is basically what has produced GPT-3, which is what lies underneath the phenomenon that most people know as ChatGPT.
1: Has Sam knows, been looking into how it can make use of this breakthrough generation of generative AI?
0: I asked Alex Sorter. We started to look at ChatGPT as soon as it was released. And... um, and as, as a technology company, we were very interested in it. One of the things that I remember was happening at that time was that we were looking for a technical writer and we started to play with ChatGPT and use that for some of the writing that we were contemplating doing and immediately thought to ourselves, actually, a lot of the first drafts could be created in ChatGPT. So what we found is that it was very good at taking... information that we would give it and structuring it in a way that a technical writer would for that first draft. You still need to edit it. You still need to go through it. You still need to look for imperfections in the writing or information that's presented as a fact that's actually incorrect. But uh, we realised very quickly that this is something that could have a profound impact on the business. But it's not writing reports where Alex thinks AI will come in most useful. Well, We have a lot of data, so the role of Sam knows is to measure internet performance, and we are always looking for insights because that's what people really want from us. They don't want just data; they want insights. And really, AI gives us an opportunity to have another way of looking at data and then generating insights. So we we think that the way that we can integrate that into our products is very straightforward. Uh, We can just use it to help an individual who might be at home having a problem with their internet connection to identify very quickly, looking at all the data that we collect, what that problem might be. AI could also help send those ISP partners to get more from their data. So much has been written about AI and how powerful it is and the impact that it can have on almost anything. But for AI to be powerful, it needs data. And one of the issues with internet performance is that until Sam knows there's not been a way of effectively measuring everything that could be causing problems with people's internet connections. So we see our role as we integrate AI to collect as much data as we possibly can to make the AI as powerful as possible.
1: And that extra AI analysis on top of the Sam knows data could help improve the speed at which broadband customers faults are fixed.
0: When we work with ISPs one of the principal use cases is to assist their care teams. Um, the way that that's done currently is that they tend to follow scripts, and the scripts are designed to take uh, someone from the start of the call to an outcome, a positive outcome, at the end of the call. Really, the the opportunity that we have with AI is is not to replace any of those people, but but certainly to make those calls way faster. So, um, so actually, if you imagine the situation where you call up your ISP, you've got a, a, an issue with your connection or your, your home Wi-Fi, in the course of that call, using our data and the AI interpreting that data, the care agent could come to the conclusion very quickly indeed. Richard
1: Windsor also thinks there's a big role for AI in customer support. There is a big
2: scope for generative AI systems to enhance customer support. Um, The reason being is that, um, in general, people don't like being stuck in a queue. They don't like being stuck with pressing numbers of options in order to get to the right human. And the problem with these, uh, certainly, you know, these online chat bots is they are fundamentally so stupid that they never seem to know the answer to the question that you have or the problem that you have. Now, what generative AI and the advances that we've seen in the last six months do is they fundamentally improve an artificial agent's ability to understand language. Now, what that means in practice is if I ask it a question, it's going to know what I want. It's going to be able to understand what it is that I want. And if the answer to that question is contained somewhere in its data set, it will be able to give me the answer and it will be able to give me the answer in a conversational way. So on that, in that regard, I think it does represent a significant step forward. And in fact, the biggest use case that we've identified for these sorts of systems is actually in the automobile. Um, simply, where you know the man machine interface in the automobile from a digital service perspective is awful. Um, a touch screen with icons doesn't really do it in the automobile, and the lead contender has always been voice. The problem is, is that the voice was so bad that it, made, it was a horrible user experience in its own right. Um, looking at what Chat GPT can do, what Bard can do, what Bing can do, I think there is certainly an opportunity for, you know, our man-machine interaction to augment customer service is actually pretty good.
1: But what happens to human support staff if AI does become the first line of customer support? I, th- I think actually
2: their job might actually get a quite a lot better. You know, uh, 90% of the time, people always seem to have the same problem. So speaking to these people who always seem to have the same problem, I would assume for a contact center employee is rather boring being asked the same question day in day out what you're going to see i think is is that those dull questions or easy to fix questions stroke problems will be fixed by the artificial intelligence algorithm because it's seen it so many times it knows exactly what to do what would happen is is that when the when the ai gets to a problem that it can't solve it pushes it up to a human and that means that the human would spend more time solving the more difficult and I presume interesting problems, uh, which I guess could actually make their life easier. The caveat is, when would the AI know when to push it up to a human? Because they don't know when they don't know, if you see what I mean. Um, so they wouldn't necessarily know, that's out of my area of expertise, better get the human to do it. They wouldn't know that.
1: That problem that Richard talks about, of the AI confidently making stuff up, is obviously a problem if the ai is talking to your customers especially on tricky technical issues how does the ai industry solve this issue of so-called hallucinations where the ai simply invents its own truth
2: this is the $64,000 question and if you solve that question you're basically well on your way to fixing the artificial general intelligence problem and the super and then the robots might actually come over the hill this weakness um, of hallucination, um, you see it in in other artificial intelligence systems. You just see it as a catastrophic failure. In Tesla, you see it as you know Tesla suddenly speeding up because it's misread a street sign. You know, it's it's it all the same problem. The answer is I don't know how it's going to be fixed. My view currently is that it's not until we find a new way of creating artificial intelligence systems that do not rely on the statistical neural networks that Professor Hinton and his team created in the 1970s and the 1980s is replaced with something else, that this problem is going to be fundamentally
1: addressed. There's another potential problem with AI. What's gone before? For years, many companies have offered so-called AI chatbots as the first line of customer service on their website or telephone lines. And these primitive assistants rarely understood what a customer wanted or helped them reach a satisfactory conclusion. How many times have you typed put me through to a human into one of these chatbots? Is there a danger that customers who've had their fingers burned with these early chatbots simply won't trust the new generative AI assistants, even if they are much more capable?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely an issue. Um, but I think, you know, um, when you actually try it, you know, most people will find, I think, that it is considerably better than the old one. The real problem with these systems is basically the following. If the customer asks them a question to which they do not know the answer, they're going to make something up. The worst part of it is, is that the machine doesn't know that it's making it up. And this comes back to the causality problem, which is, at the end of the day, these machines are fundamentally stupid. They are really only statistical pattern recognition systems. And when it comes to a task that, you know, an advanced AI has never seen before, I would I would back my eight-year-old son over the AI any day of the
1: week. So, looking at the wider picture, does Richard Windsor think these new generative AI models are a force for good? Or the danger to humanity that some of the more alarmist headline writers claim?
2: It's a good question. Um, The answer is both. Um, Now, my opinion is that GPT systems or generative AI represent a step forward, but they are not a breakthrough. The reason they're not a breakthrough is if you look at the techniques and the architectures that are being used, what you find is that it is the same techniques and architectures that were in use in 2012 and the certain techniques and architectures that actually were invented in the 1980s. Now, those techniques and architectures basically allow these neural networks to be very sophisticated, statistical pattern recognition systems. Um, And that's what allows them to identify a cat or a dog or a horse or whatever it is. The downside of that is that these machines do not understand or have any understanding of causality. They understand correlation, they do not understand causation. And that limitation is inherent because they are statistical based systems. Now that means that when you, when you take that forward and you last uh, these generative AI systems, they ask you questions. Sometimes they're gonna go off the rails, sometimes they're gonna make stuff up, they're gonna say crazy things. Um, and they're doing that because they're going, they're being forced by the user to go outside their comfort zone or the stuff that they've explicitly been taught. Um, now what that really means at the end of the day, when it's good or bad is, is it depends on who's using it. Now, my opinion for a long time has been is as a man or humans are not in danger from the machines, they're in danger from other humans. What we mean by that is that this is not the time at which Skynet is going to be created or killer robots are going to come across the hill. However, these GPT systems are sophisticated enough that someone with a bad intention can use them to spread a lot of very convincing, malicious, fake, propaganda or whatever it is so that the real danger is misuse by other humans not so much the machines are suddenly going to imprison us all in cages
1: even if it's unlikely ai is going to pose a serious threat to humankind one of the more credible dangers is the risk of sensitive data leaking especially if it's being used to train new language models alex salter
0: thinks that risk can be contained i don't think that ai on its own amplifies that risk Obviously, when you're collecting a lot of data, as we do, uh, you have to have a significant number of controls to ensure that the data that you're collecting is protected, is secure, is safe, and uh, and it's only being used for the purpose for which it's being collected. I don't think AI changes that. Um, I think that being very narrow with the use cases, like I say, with to 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 assist care agents or or network engineers or, or field engineers um, when they're when they're trying to identify faults, that's a very narrow use case, and really we're not making the data available to anyone other than would have access to the data anyway. Uh, We're just just making their lives faster, their, their lives easier.
1: Finally, given the rapid pace of advancement in AI we've seen over the past year or so, I asked Richard Windsor how much more sophisticated AI could become.
2: I don't think necessarily sophistication. I mean, if you listen to what Sam Altman himself said the other day, he actually freely admitted that something that you know, we've had in our research for over, for a couple of months now, which is there are signs that we're hitting the point, the law of diminishing returns, which means the more resources you put into making these models bigger and more compute power, the less and less you get out at the end, which is implying we are getting towards the end of what these models are capable of. However, there's plenty of space to be able to make these models smaller, more power efficient, use less compute, train them more efficiently, run them on mobile phones. That's where I think the real innovation is basically going to be because, you know, right now, Chat GPT is a cloud-based service that runs on a supercomputer. Ideally, what you want, if you can have one running on your phone or in your car, arguably it would be easier to use. It would have a faster response time and it would actually keep your data private because if the inference is happening at the edge on your device your data that you've primed the model with never leaves your device
1: that's it for this edition of the sound nose podcast don't forget to read the article that accompanies this issue at soundnose.com forward slash spotlight until next time goodbye